Lifestyle of Prayer. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 5. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Again, O God, tonight we're asking for the revelation of your word to strike our spirits in such a way that it captures us and causes us to better grip this part of your gospel, Father, and what your name represents. So help us tonight. Holy Spirit, please help me to communicate this in a way that's clear and understandable. But again, oh God, we're trusting you for impartation. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can teach. You're the only one that can take the Word of God and cause it to go beyond just the mental apprehension into a spiritual comprehension. So I trust you for these things in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, this is hour number five on the lifestyle of prayer. And this is, we're on lesson four. I'm doing my best to try to get through this, but there's a lot of ground I've got to cover tonight. This is about the name of Jesus. Now, just before we actually go to these, I want you to, years ago when I taught in a Bible school in the States, I, I, I think I've shared with you that I taught an entire course on the name of Jesus. And uh, I have copious notes on the topic, to say the least. But I just want to take you through a couple of very simple verses in the Amplified Bible uh, I'm going to just read a few of them, then I want you to just make a notation of some others. Because I just want you to grasp something. When I was studying this years ago, what I did is I took a concordance and I simply looked up every single verse in the Bible that had the word name there. <laughs> when it had to do with the name of God or the name of Jesus. That's the way I've always studied, whatever the topic is. I get a table, I put my books out, and I start writing down every verse and seeing what the, what the word says. But I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 8 if you would. 1 Kings chapter 8. We'll just read several verses in this one chapter. And while we read these verses, I want you to be aware that there are several other chapters in the Old Testament in the Amplified Bible. Now again, this, they will, what I'm going to read to you, it will not read at all in any other Bible. It'll just say the name of the Lord or something like that. But because again of how the Amplified was translated and why it was translated as it was as far as bringing the actual heart of what people heard in those days when they heard these words. Um, again, I think I've shared with you to read in the first few pages of the Amplified Bible sometimes, and you'll see why the book was written. This Dr. Frances Seward and how she was this incredible linguist, spoke all these multitudes of languages, and why she set out to write this particular Bible, she and a great team. But anyhow, I just, let's just start in First, chap first Kings chapter 8. Uh, in the midst of this, you know, this is Solomon praying. They've just re they've built the temple, Solomon's temple. And he's going through this incredible prayer of his. I'll start in verse 22, just so that you can see it in context, because all of this is about the temple having been built, the most incredible, you know, temple to God that was ever built on planet Earth. Verse 22 says, Then Solomon stood in the court before the Lord's burnt offering altar in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread forth his hands towards heaven. And he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing mercy and loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. 
You have kept what you promised your servant David for my father. You also spoke with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore now, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, what you promised him when you said, there shall not fail you a man before me to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your children take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have done. Verse 26, now, O God of Israel, let your word which you spoke to your servant David, my father, be confirmed by experience. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, the heavens and heaven of heavens in its most extended compass cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built. Yet graciously consider the prayer and supplication of your servant, O Lord my God, to hearken to the loud cry and prayer which he prays before you today. Now, verse 29 of the Amplified. Listen to this, just this phrase. He says, hearken unto your prayer. Please, O God, it's verse 28. It says, O Lord my God, hearken to the loud cry and prayer which he prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which you have said, listen, toward the place of which you have said, my name and the token of my presence shall be there, that you may hearken to the prayer which your servant shall make in or facing towards this place. Now that's all I want you to read is the fact that in the Amplified it makes this statement, but I, I, I would submit to you, like I said, I could give you at least 50 verses where every time it speaks about the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, it speaks of the place where he has made his name to dwell. Now, again, we just read that real quickly. But in the Old Testament, where God wasn't physically, his name would be put someplace, and his name would actually carry the strength of his presence in a tangible way. And this is something that they understood at that point uh, a lot better than we do today. But let me just read it again. He said, that your eyes may be open towards this house, towards the place of which you said, a place, towards the place of which you said, because God's the one that said this, toward the place of which you said, my name and the token of my presence shall be there. Okay? Now I'm just going to jump through a bunch of verses. Look at verse 33. He continued to praise. He said, when your people are Israel are struck down before the enemy because they have sinned against you and they turn again to you, confess your name. Now listen to this phrase. They confess your name, your revelation of yourself. When, you, when they confess your name, your revelation of yourself and pray beseeching you in this house, verse 34, then here in heaven, and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and return them to the land you gave to their fathers. Verse 35, when heaven is shut up and no rain falls because they have sinned against you, if they pray in or toward this place and confess your name, your revelation of yourself, and they turn from their sin when you afflict them, then here in heaven and forgive and so on. Now jump down to verse 42. Uh, well, yeah, verse 42, we'll read from verse 40, verse 40, that they may fear and revere you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a stranger who is not of your people Israel, but comes from a far country for the sake of your name and your active presence, 
your name and your active presence. Your name and your active presence. For they will hear of your great name, your revelation of yourself, your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he shall pray in or toward this house. Verse 43, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name, your revelation of your presence, and fear and revere you as do your people Israel, and may know and comprehend that this house which I have built is called by your name, contains the token of your presence. Okay? Now, <laughs> I just wanted to read all that because I want you to try to catch something, and probably you'll have to do this later. All through Scripture... You do know, right, where God's, God revealed, when God revealed himself, remember, he revealed himself in his names, right? Remember, there's what's called the seven redemptive names of God. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah uh, Jireh, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Ra'ah. All these different names, they're, re, they're what's called the redemptive names of God. Each time God said, Behold, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that healeth thee. He was revealing more of who he was. I'm not only just God. I'm God that heals. I'm a God that provides. I, he, I'm a God that, that delivers. I'm a God of great armies. I'm a God of righteousness. Uh, I'm your, all of these things, but Again, the name, in the name, all these names were the revelation of who he was. And, of course, you'll remember that the Jewish people, I'm sure you've been taught this before, but remember they thought that the name of God, they thought it so holy that to this day, you know, that they, they do not ever pronounce, as it were, the name of God. They have a four-letter, what's called a, it's a big Greek word, tetra. Grammation. It's a Y-W-H-W -W that they would write out, which is we call Yahweh, you know. But the point is, because they thought that the name was too holy to ever be spoken. And so they would write out, instead of ever speaking the name, they would write out those four letters in the Hebrew, Y-W-H-W. -W. And they would call him Adonai. They would call him, you know, Lord. Adonai is the word for, for Lord. They'd call him these other names, but never by the name. I'm just, what I'm trying to say is this. They venerated that name to the degree that places were built to house his name. And great miraculous things happened just because they were in the vicinity of a place where God had spoken to his prophets and said, my name will be there, the token of my presence. So what I'm trying to say is, as far as heaven is concerned, to those who believe where his name is, he is. Okay? Are you with me just a little bit? Where his name is, he is. Now today, unfortunately, we've, we use the name of Jesus. We say it so quickly, so fast, without really considering the depth of what it's all about, that we just do it because it's something you do in Christianity.
we use that name in prayer, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight, but we don't really understand what's behind the name. Uh, this is why, as I was taught all those years ago, it's, it's worth almost a lifetime study just to discover what's behind this name. Remember, there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. There's too much. See, I can't go through all the teaching, but remember in the book of Acts, remember when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the Herodian council said to Paul and to Peter and to Peter and them and, and then to Paul later, he said, we adjure you to no longer speak or teach in that name. Don't speak, don't teach in that name. And it's amazing. They said this after people were healed. They didn't say anything about the fact like, we don't want you healing people. They just said, we don't want you doing any of these things. That name carries too much authority. And of course, they said, we're going to do it anyhow. But the point is, this is called the lifestyle of prayer, this course. We really have to understand that the name of Jesus Christ is the key to all of our authority and that it's not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not something we just bandy about and use like you use popcorn. Now, forgive me even before I get to the scriptures for using a stupid illustration, but being an American, you can't, you know, don't be angry with me, okay? But I remember, you know, I grew up uh, because of the where, where my family came from, knowing about the West, you know, the cowboys, the real cowboys, because of where my family came from, my grandfather uh, used to, was a was a horse. He judged horses. My grandfather, my great grandfather in Missouri, in America, and you none of you probably ever heard of it. But there was very famous outlaws called the James brothers, Jesse James, and all these people, and they were all from the same county that my family was from. And the James's uncle and father were people that worked alongside my great grandfather, judging horses and working with horses till like this. So when I was a young boy. I was really caught up in all this because, you know, I had a great granddaddy that, that, that knew these boys up close because when you're an American kid, a guy, a, a man growing up, a boy growing up, it's a big deal to say that you knew something about the, the James boys or Billy the Kid or, you know, or all these kind of people. So I would read all this stuff and, I mean, one of my greatest uh, uh, claims to fame as a young boy. I don't know if they do that in schools in England or in Poland or what have you, but they would have kids, they would have a day called show and tell where you'd bring something to show the other students just from your house. And my fame was to bring, we had, do you know what a tintype is? A tintype is like the oldest kind of a photograph where they would take an impression would come up against tin. A tintype is like the first photographs. They called them a tintype because it's made out of the metal tin. And in our family, we have these old tintypes with pictures of my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and the James boys. And it's all validated. And so I, was, I thought I was really a hot shot because, you know, <laughs> even though they were all outlaws, but when you're from that part of the country, nobody thought. I said all that to say this. I used to study these guys because American kids get all enchanted with it. Have you ever heard of a, 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 a true, a, somebody who really lived by the name of Bill Hickok? He was a very famous, they called him Wild Bill Hickok. He was one of the most famous lawmen in the Old West in America. Movies have been, several movies have been done on Wild Bill Hickok. Several tons of books have been written on Wild Bill Hickok. He was an incredible lawman back in the old, old Wild West. And he unfortunately in his career killed something like 
I don't know, 75 men that came against him because he was a super fast shot and he knew what he was doing, all this kind of stuff. But in reading this book, it said this, and you may think this is a horrible way to bring an illustration about this, but I never will forget this one statement. It said that Bill Hickok never drew his gun. He never drew that gun unless he had to use it. Every single time he drew it, he drew it because he had to use it. Now, the only reason I bring that up is because this name of Jesus is incredibly powerful. You hear me? It's incredibly powerful. But if we esteem it lightly and use it too often, you will, it, will lose, it will lose the value, the sense of value that it has. And again, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but when I first started in these, this thing of prayer and I was back in California at that church, I may have shared this already, in, or you probably heard me say it in other meetings, but I never will forget one day in prayer where the Lord stopped me and He said, I, want, I, I, heard, I, well, I can't say I heard it audibly. I didn't hear the audible voice of the Lord. But as strong as I've ever heard anything in my Christian walk, I heard Him say to me, He said, Son, I want you to understand this. He said, Every time from your heart, you speak that name. When you say, in the name of Jesus, he said, I want you to understand this. I want you to see this, he said, with your spirit, that when you speak that, he said that every ear in heaven waits for the next words that are going to come out of your mouth. I mean, that was strong to me. And it painted a picture for me that I've never, ever forgotten because of the authority that's in that name, what it stands for. Now, please hear me. It's like saying, how many of you know today it's very easy to say, I love you? <laughs> you know what I mean? In the world, films, TV, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But you can say I love you so much that it loses all meaning, right? Do you know what I mean? I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But it doesn't mean zip. It doesn't mean I love you because love speaks to a depth of devotion that is unconquerable by anything that happens. you know what I mean? But love in and of itself has been diminished down to where it's nothing. You know, this is why I teach on the love walk so much. Well, I'm just saying it's the same thing with this name. We've got to somehow make it a study so that, because I'm telling you, this makes so much difference in prayer. Because again, having results, having a prayer life that has results doesn't come from knowing what formulas to quote. You know, the power to heal the sick doesn't come because you know what scriptures to put together. Yes, you hear what I'm trying to say? All authority and all power is wrapped up in this name. And that's what we're going to try to get to. Now, having said all that, let's turn to John chapter 16 and actually see how far we can get, okay? John chapter 16. And we're going to go through just some of these, but I'm asking you to really, in and of itself, to make, at some point in your life, uh, make a decision to do a real study on the name of Jesus alone. Just that. Just that. How many of you know when you speak a name that every memory that you have or every association that you have with that name comes instantly into your mind? If I say Elizabeth Windsor, Queen of England, that name immediately represents something to you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Because when you hear the name, don't you immediately get a picture of everything that the name represents, right? If I said the name of some horrible murderer 
that everybody, Jack the Ripper, anybody that's like read into that will know the horror of that man. Um, John Rock, or J. Paul Getty, John Paul Getty, does that name mean anything to anybody? You know, one of the richest men on the earth, the Rockefeller family, a name. If you know what the name represents, in other words, it's the old illustration, if I say, you know what, I'm going to give you a million pounds on Tuesday, well, you might say, gee, that's neat, but if you don't know that I have the capability of giving you a million pounds, can you release much faith for that to happen? And of course you can't. But if a man named J. Paul Getty rolled in here and looked you straight in the eye and said, I'm going to give you a million pounds next Tuesday, your faith might be a little bit more engaged, right? Would you look at me right, please? Because, why? Because you know what's behind the name, okay? There are tons of people in the body of Christ that just tack the name of Jesus onto things because that's what you do. But they've never really gone to the depths of what's behind it. So let's look at John, we're going to look at John 16, then look at John 14. We're going to back up, which sounds funny, but I'd like to read the whole chapter up here when you can see it in context. I'm going to start in verse 12, John 16, verse 12. Now remember, this is all the last 72 hours of the Lord's life. Those of you that remember when I did the love walk from John 13 to John 21 represents the last three days of his life. Verse 12, Jesus said, I have still many things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them or to take them upon you or to grasp them now. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can't, you're not going to understand these things until after I'm gone. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, the truth giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, the whole full truth. For he will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears from the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him, and he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come, what will happen in the future. He will honor and glorify me because he will take of, receive, draw upon what is mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, and transmit it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is what I meant when I said that he, the Spirit, will take the things that are mine and will reveal and declare and disclose and transmit it to you. Verse 16, in a little while you will no longer see me. Again, after a short while, you will see me. So some of his disciples questioned among themselves, what does he mean when he tells us, in a little while, you will no longer see me, and again, after a short while, you will see me, and because I go to the Father. What does he mean by a little while? We do not know or understand what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you wondering and inquiring among yourselves what I meant when I said, in a little while you will no longer see me, and again after a short while you will see me? I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, that you shall weep and grieve, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. For a woman, when she gives birth to a child, has grief and anguish and agony because her time has come, but when she has delivered the child, she no longer remembers her pain her trouble or anguish because she's so glad that a man, a child, a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22. So for the present you are also in sorrow and distress and depressed. But I will see you again and then your hearts will rejoice and no one can take from you your joy, your gladness and delight. And when that time comes, 
Now here, right here, is where Jesus is going to change the whole way of people's praying in these next two verses. He said, and when that time comes, what time is that? That time is when he's going to have gone to the cross, been resurrected from the dead, and presents himself again to the disciples. In other words, it's speaking of the age that's called the church age that you and I are living in today. And he says in verse 23, and when that time comes, you will ask nothing of me. You will need to ask me no questions. I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, that my Father will grant you whatever you ask in my name. And then in the Amplified, it says this, in my name as presenting all I am. Hallelujah. Now, you know why I like that? Because in the Amplified, it says as presenting all, and then it says capital I, capital A, capital M, I am. Do you remember? That's what God's name is. Do you remember? When God before Moses, who, do you, who shall I say send me? Tell them I am, that I am has sent you. You know, when I made mention in the beginning about the seven redemptive names of God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Sidkin, all those names. In Zechariah 14, I don't want you to turn there. The prophet Zechariah speaks of the day that we live in now. Listen to this verse. And he said this. He said, in that day, he said, my name will be one. And what he spoke to there was he said, God was saying, every revelation of who I am, every redemptive bit of who I've been, uh, who I've been revealing myself to Israel throughout all generations is going to be wrapped up in one name in that day. All the redemptive revelations of God that have ever been communicated, he said, through my names in the Old Covenant, in this day that's coming are going to be in one name. And this one name is, of course, this name of Jesus that you and I have the privilege of bearing. This is what Paul said. This is what all of them say. Again, like I said, there's a whole course that could be taught on this. All these verses, all through... I bear the name of the Lord, what it means to bear the name of, of the Lord. But he said here, you'll not need to ask the Father anything in that day. So in this, or excuse me, you'll not need to ask me anything in that day, but whatsoever you ask the Father, he will grant you whatever you ask in my name. Verse 24, up to this time, you have not asked a single thing in my name as presenting all that I am. But now ask and keep on asking and you will receive so that your joy, your gladness and delight may be full and complete. Now I want you to really hear that. Up to this time, you've not asked a single thing in my name. But now ask. Ask, ask, and you will receive that your joy might be full. Now turn back to, to chapter 14, just, just a little bit back. As I kind of try to move on here a little bit, chapter 14, verse 12, 13, and 14. He, again, is in the middle of this incredible dissertation. Verse 12, Jesus said, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes in me, he will himself be able to do the things that I do. Uh, did you hear that? I mean, does anybody here believe that? I see we read it so quickly. Listen. Most solemnly, I tell you, if anybody steadfastly believes in me, he will himself be able 
to do the things that I do. And he will do even greater things. Greater means more than, not bigger than. And he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Verse 13, and I will do. I myself will grant whatever you ask in my name, presenting all that I am, so that the Father may be glorified and extolled in and through the Son. Yes, I will grant, I myself will do for you whatever you shall ask in my name, presenting all that I am. Now, this is strong. Now, I, now you have to ask yourself a question. Does he really mean this? Now, again, see, quit making excuses for your prayer life as it's been thus far. And let's start realizing Jesus said this. He said, when you ask in my name. Now, uh, turn to John 15 right next door. It's not on the outline, but let me just look at verse 7. These are very familiar, but I want you just to catch this. John 15, verse 7, Jesus said, If you live in me, if you live, not visit, but if you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, and continue to live in your hearts, Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Because why? When you bear and produce much fruit, my Father's honored and glorified, and you show yourselves to be true followers of mine. Now, the reason I want to read that is because this is so simple, we miss it. You really have to understand, God wants you and I to bear much fruit because that's what's going to bring glory to the Father. Amen? Is anybody actually hearing what I'm saying thus far? Are we still asleep? God's, God wants you to bear fruit. In other words, in context, he said, if my words abide in you, you see, if my messages, my words, if these truths abide in you, you see, you're not going to ask amiss. You're going to ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. Why? So that you can tell everybody you've got a powerful prayer life? No. So that you can begin to bear fruit that will glorify God. God's other people will begin to look at your life and say, God's real. God is alive. Because look at the fruit of this man. Look at the fruit of this woman's life. Look how God is granting to them what they're asking of him. But they're asking of him in the name of Jesus, presenting all that he is. Hallelujah. Presenting all that he is. Presenting all that he is. That name, that name presents all that God is. Hallelujah. But let me throw this in real quick too. Now, I, I'm, you know from when I taught on grace, those of you that attended the class, I'm not into legalism, to say the least. I believe in grace. That's my message. But at the same time, let me say that if we're honest students of Scripture, the way we're called to pray for that matter is it says in John 16, I'm, gonna, I'm rushing past it already, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will grant it you. There's no place in the Bible where it says you're to pray to Jesus. Now that probably upsets some people, but <laughs> Jesus said we pray to the Father. We're to ask the Father in His name. In His name. I'm coming in your name. Okay, now let's move quickly, but I'm just saying it's not that God's going to fall off His throne if you pray to Jesus. 
But this is just it. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. You don't pray for Jesus' sake. God, please heal these people for Jesus' sake. In other words, like, so it's going to benefit Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be benefited. He's doing all right. Thank you very much. Okay? And it's, you might say we're getting, you know, legalistic. We're, I'm not trying to get legalistic. I'm trying to be accurate. Okay? If I keep saying for Jesus' sake, it just, see, it's, it's totally different than saying in Jesus' name. Because in Jesus' name, I'm representing Jesus in this prayer. I'm coming in His name, not in my strength, not in my ability. I'm coming in the strength of His promise. I can't heal a flea. Right? Right? Can you? But see, I come in that name. This is, in, I tell you, it's one of the greatest things I've ever, I ever learned. I'm when, you know, it's, you know, it's like they say about things of the Spirit. When you're young in the Lord, things seem to happen a lot quicker. And the more you know, it seems like they don't happen as quick sometimes. But in the early days, I remember when it dawned on me. It sounds so embarrassing almost to say when it dawns. Because, I mean, I used to pray for the sick and my faith, you see, was in, well, am I doing it right? Am I laying hands right this way or should you lay hands this way? Or should you yell, get, be loud? Should you be quiet? Should you? In other words, it was all like your faith is in the how you do something uh, methodology. And it hadn't, see, this stuff had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the love of God coming through me and realizing I have nothing. So why am I worrying about me having anything in the first place? But what I do have is like Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Hallelujah. In other words, he said, what I do have is this name. And this name is where all authority and all power rest. Hallelujah. Well, I can see I'm really thrilling you tonight. Hallelujah. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 on the outline, and the second verse that's on the outline, Paul said, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, are you or are you not part of God's family? Are you? Now, just get real, be like a child with me for a moment. Are you one of God's kids? Right? My dad, Andy Anderson. I was Andy Anderson's boy. The moment I was born... I had the name of Anderson. I had my father's last name, and I was identified totally with that family. Hear me? Well, you're God's children. He's the father from whom the entire family in heaven and earth is named. I mean, you've got to let this become more than just a little cute scripture to you. I don't know what God's last name is, but it's yours. <laughs> you hear me? It's yours. You, you're a daughter and a son of God. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Joint heir, that means what's his is yours. So this, it just, a, a fresh boldness begins to come into you. And again, because you start, you quit praying, like I said, from just praying to understand, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. 
This name is above every name in heaven and earth. Every name, the Bible says, every knee in the earth, remember of things in the earth, things above, things, things above the earth, things in the earth, and things under the earth. Do you remember that scripture? Every knee shall bow. You know the word things there in the Greek is actually beings. Every being in heaven, every being in the earth, and every being under the earth. I like that when you really think about the fact that there are beings under this earth. <laughs> but the matter is, I don't care if there are beings under, above, around, or what, but the name of Jesus is above every name. What's that mean? It carries more authority than every name. That's why, again, people get healed when they get this revelation because they suddenly see the difference between the name cancer and the name Jesus. And when they hear it long enough, I've seen it. I've watched it myself. I've seen people get the revelation that this name carries more authority than this name. But when you say the word cancer to some people, you've heard so much for so long about that name that that name strikes your spirit with fear and people are captured by everything that it may mean before it ever means it. The very same thing God wants to happen when we catch your, when you <laughs> capture the idea of the name of Jesus, to understand that I carry this, I'm branded with it. I'm a Jesus person. I've got this name. There's no name that can stand. I've got the most powerful name there is. I don't have a name Rockefeller. I don't have the name Getty. I've got the name Son of God. I'm a, Jesus Christ is my brother. He's your brother. We're joint heirs in this stuff. Hallelujah. Now, point B on the outline, all authority is in that name. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, Jesus approached and breaking the silence said to them, all. Now, what does all mean? Does it mean all or does it mean some? It means all. <laughs> Allos, all, all authority, all power, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you believe that? You should believe that. You hear me? You should believe that. He rose from the dead and said, all power all authority, all power of rule in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then verse 90, he says, you go, go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. The word baptize, you know what it means, don't you? Baptize, it means to immerse in, to flood with. Baptize them into, listen to the wording, into the name, not into water. Did you hear me? baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, I'm telling you, we could go to, I just, just, I can't stand it. I got to read a couple of verses in Acts real quick. Turn to Acts 3. I got to go real quickly here. Acts 3, move quickly with me so I can just read these. Acts 3, verse 6 is what I just quoted. But Peter said, silver and gold or money I do not have, but what I do have that I give to you in the use of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Did you hear that? In the use of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And let me tell you something. See, he's not even praying there, is he? He's demanding. Walk, he said, in the name of Jesus. And the man, it says, then he took 
hold of the man's right hand with a firm grip, raised him up, and at once his feet and ankle bones became strong and steady, and leaping forth he stood and began to walk, went to the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Hallelujah. Look at verse 16. This is when they come and they begin to say, what, you know, how did this happen? They're all shook up. And Peter gives them this message. Verse 14, he said to them, but you denied and rejected and disowned the pure and the holy, the just and the blameless one, and you demanded the pardon of a murderer to be granted to you. But you killed the very source, the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Look at verse 16. Now really listen to verse 16. And his name, and his name through and by, listen to this phrase, by faith in his name. Faith in what? Faith in what? Now, we're to have faith in God, aren't we? Right? And we have to have faith in the work of Jesus, don't we? But really hear this. See, these are, these are like one and the same, but you've got to catch this. What does Peter say caused the miraculous to happen? He said, and his name through faith in his name has made this man whom you see and recognize well and strong. Yes, the faith which is through and by him, Jesus, has given this man this perfect soundness of body before all, before all of you at this point, at right now. Hallelujah. But I mean, it's faith in the name. The turn to Philippians 1. I've already quoted this as well, but I just want to read it to you so that you don't think I'm lying to you. You better not think I'm lying. Philippians, hallelujah, chapter 1. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm sorry, chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. It says this, Therefore, speaking of Jesus, because he stooped so low, speaking of Jesus, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in and at the name of Jesus every, new, every knee should and must bow in heaven, on earth, under earth, and every tongue frankly, openly confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, he said all authority on your outline real quick. The word authority, there's the word exousia. Now, I've got to really smoke now because I've got about seven minutes left on this. Exousia, the word means authority. It says the power of authority, the right to exercise power. Now, basically, this is where we come with the teaching of the power of attorney. Let me just read you something. Probably be quick if I do this. Several years ago, this just let me read this from a synopsis. Several years ago, I was holding meetings in a city in Tennessee. One afternoon, while giving an address on the name of Jesus, a lawyer interrupted me, asking me, do you mean to say that Jesus gave us his power of attorney, the legal right to use his name like in law, like in courts. I said to him, brother, you're a lawyer. I'm a layman. You tell me, did Jesus give us his power of attorney? He said, if language means anything, then these verses declare that Jesus gave to the church his power of attorney. Then I asked him, what is the value of this power of attorney? He answered, quote, that depends upon how much there is back of it how much power and authority this name represents. I began the search to find out how much power and authority Jesus had. The measure of his ability is the measure of the value of that name. And all that is invested in that name belongs to us, for Jesus gave us the use of his name. He said in John 16, 24, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus here not only gives us the use of his name, but he also declares that a prayer prayed in his name will receive his special attention. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus says, you ask of the Father in my name, I will endorse that and the Father will give it to you. This puts prayer on a purely legal basis for he has given us the legal right, the power of attorney to use his name. As we take our privileges and rights in the new covenant and pray in Jesus' name, now listen, listen. As we take our privileges and rights in the new covenant and pray in Jesus' name, it passes out of our hands into the hands of Jesus. He then assumes the responsibility of that prayer and we know that he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me and I know that thou hearest me always. In other words, we know that the Father always hears Jesus. And when we pray in Jesus' name, it is, it is as though Jesus himself were doing the praying. He takes our place. This places prayer not only on legal grounds, but makes it a business proposition. When we pray, we take Jesus' place here to carry out his will. And he takes our place there before the Father. He said that it should not only cover our prayer life, but it can also be used in combat against the unseen forces that surround us. And these signs shall accompany them that believe, or literally the believing ones. Every child of God is a believing one. And he said, in my name, they shall cast out demons. They shall pick, or speak, they shall pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Here, here he is revealing his part in the Great Commission. In that great document, he says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. I am sending you out to make disciples of all nations. He is with us in the authority and the power of his name. What does the name mean to the Father, to the church, and to Satan? To the Father, it must mean more than our hearts or minds will ever grasp, but we can suggest a little of the wealth that the Father has stored in the name. First, he inherited, he inherited a more excellent name, Scripture says, than any of the angels. Second, God gave to him a name that was above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And third, by conquest, by his conquest over sin, Satan, disease, death, hell, and the grave, he acquired this name that is above all names. When Jesus gave us the legal right to use this name, the Father knew all that that name would imply in prayer, and it is his joy to recognize that name. The possibilities unfolded in that name are beyond our understanding when he says to the church, whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name. That is like Jesus Christ giving us a signed check. Listen, that's like Jesus Christ giving us a signed check on the resources of heaven and asking us to fill it in. <laughs> it would pay for Christians to begin an exhaustive study of the resources of Jesus in order to get a measurement of the wealth of the, uh, that that name holds for us today. Now let me just read this bottom paragraph real quickly. God has a definite plan for us all. Before any of us were born into this world, God ordained the blueprints of our lives. You whom he created in his image were intended to come into the world for a specific purpose. Man's success or failure in this life, therefore, hangs on whether or not he fulfills that purpose and plan for which he was created. The question then is, how can a man enter into the divine plan for himself? 
To this, the answer is only one way. He must pray into it. Do you hear me? Day by day, as he seeks the face of God, he will see the divine pattern unfold and will thus discover God's full purpose for his life. Now, I'm going to have to stop here, so I don't want to get to these next ones, but let me just say this. Don't read over that too quickly. I got to tell you, it is so true. When you study the scriptures about the Holy Spirit and about purpose, a man's mind has many plans, but the Lord's purpose for him will stand and all these kind of things. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord that searcheth the inward parts of the heart. The revelation of how they went from the, in the Old Testament, the outer court to the, holy of holy, to the inner court to the Holy of Holies. And how the New Testament, it says that today you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and that now we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. See, everything, every plan, every purpose for your life has already been blueprinted as far as heaven is concerned. But he's waiting for you to make right choices. But those right choices are going to come from you learning how to birth from your life that which is already on the inside of you. A woman has a baby, she has to push. You have a destiny and a future on the inside of you that you get to push out of you in prayer. You know, when, you, when my wife had a baby, you know how they have Lamaze training? You know what that is where they teach the, the, the woman how to breathe and the husband's supposed to stand next to her. Honey, breathe, and you have to breathe. You know, one short, two short ones, one long one after again. And you do all that and you help them, right? Breathe. The Holy Spirit is our helper. You have to understand this. The Holy Spirit has come alongside of you and is sitting on the inside of you. He is the one that is right now trying to get you to breathe so that you can birth this thing. He's right next to you right now going, come on, would you breathe? Get this word out of you. <laughs> He's trying to get you to pray because he knows as you continue to give yourself to this, where you're really getting before the Lord, you will ultimately birth out of you what's always been in you. Hallelujah. Now, we got, we'll talk about that more later, but we've got to stop at this hour. Father, again, we thank you for this much in Jesus matchless name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.